We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. March has arrived and we're only weeks away from the big tournament. Yes, that tournament. Make sure to head to Bet Online and open an account today to get in on their $100,000 Bracket Madness Contest starting March 15th. That's right, I said $100,000 in March 15th. You don't need to be hardcore to get in on the action. With multiple entries available, it's the season's best chance to cash in. And remember, the NBA and XFL are still going strong. So whatever your passion is, BetOnline is the place to be for all your betting needs. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner, Bet online to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account. Make sure to use that promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for your 50% sign-up bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbooks experts. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. This episode betonline.ag. But, Jack, we have some big news today. This is the most surprising day in Brooklyn Nets history and the second most newsworthy day in Brooklyn Nets history. Yes, and that news is Kenny Atkinson and the Brooklyn Nets are parting ways. Before you get into it, quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But, Jack, what was your initial reaction? I know you woke up recently when you saw the news that the Nets and Kenny were parting ways. Jock Vaughn, interim head coach, initial reaction when you opened your phone and saw the notification and messages. Okay, so well, let's go through it step by step, Nick. Because like <laughs> I, I know we did we did the reaction sort of pod for when Kenny and um for when Kyrie and KD signed, and that was uh, a, a much more jubilant sort of uh, reaction. But waking up today, literally, you know, it's a it's a Sunday morning here in in Melbourne. Woke up at about you know seven seven thirty. The initial reaction is, you know, you always grab your phone, see what's popping on the notifications. I've got a message from one of my friends. He's like, "What WTF? Why?" And I'm like. 
wait what and then i go check my bleacher report notifications i'm like wait what and then i go check my dms and i'm like okay nick's messaged me something has clearly happened here it was it's shocking it was a a bit of a blind side uh it's 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 a weird weird reaction it's sort of a a combination of things nick but like you've sort of i've gone through some of your tweets it's sort of it makes more sense now you sort of have some time to step away from it and sort of process it a little bit more you you read the articles from espn nets daily and the like and the reactions and you see all the news and tweets from anywhere and everywhere um it's it's still no less shocking in the moment but i guess it makes a little more sense now having some time removed yeah i don't think it's it was a huge surprise that Kenny wouldn't be coaching the 2020-2021 Nets. But to happen at this time and be parting ways during the season, especially after a big win over San Antonio, it's like it was kind of confusing. But like like I said, and like you said with my tweets, when you step back and look at it, you're like, okay, maybe this does make sense. But still the timing just threw everybody off, not finishing the season, not going to the playoffs, and not getting an opportunity to at least try to coach Kyrie and KD. Do you think it's bad timing, Nick? Would you have waited till the end of the season? Or do you think, you know, installing a guy with a great name? For those that don't know, my full name is actually Jacques, J-A-C-Q-U-E. So, I mean, I'm always going to stand for a man with a similar name as mine. Do you think that the decision to install an interim head coach for the rest of the season for the last 20 or so games and hopefully playoffs was haphazard? Yeah, I'm not really sure. Like, I I would have to think some of, like, the decision of doing it now would have to be uh, on Kenny's side. Like, maybe knowing, like, Sean saying, like, hey, we're going to let you go at the end of the year, but if you don't want to finish it out because it just doesn't feel real to you, then, hey, we can do it now. We can get this done with, and then, you know, you can start looking at your next jobs, doing interviews, whatever it may be, and we can start doing the same thing on our side without it feeling weird. That's That's got to be, like, my way of thinking. If not... It is just kind of just such a random time for someone to fire their head coach because it's not like anything has drastically changed for the Nets. I think they've struggled a lot in 2020. A lot of that's due to Kyrie being out. But over this last stretch, they had some wins. They had some losses. And it doesn't feel like anything specifically stuck out in the last couple of weeks. It must have been a bigger picture thing. I mean, the decision apparently was made Friday. So I guess just after the Memphis Grizzlies game. I mean, we've sort of seen little, little rumblings and little sort of tweets and responses from former players that we'll get to as well. It's it's still, you know, a, a bit of a shocking situation because normally the head coach gets of an organization gets fired, you know, at the start of the year or sort of like, you know, 30 games in, and then you get a real look at it at an assistant coach. So they get a real run out. You sort of see what's going with Mike Miller. You sort of see what's happening, you know, in Cleveland with JB Biggerstaff. You know, obviously that happened only a few weeks ago, mind you, as well. But, you know, only 20 games to go. I would be surprised if we see Jacques Vaughn uh, as the Brooklyn Nets head coach because I think that we will get to future candidates and such. But I think that the Nets aren't going to go the unproven route. I think that would be very surprising. But all um, all, all luck and all all the good wishes to, to Jacques Vaughn and all good wishes to Coach Kenny Atkinson. And in terms of personal sentiments, Nick, you know, we started this pod with the, the Markinson era. It was, you know, the, the culture was a big thing. And, and Kenny Atkinson as one of the more heralded player development coaches in the NBA, the way he's developed, you know, Carol Savert, D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, all these guys into being, you know, all-star, borderline all-star players, you know, some of the best in their field in terms of Joe Harris with his shooting. You know, Jared Allen is, is a budding young center in the league. It's, it says a lot about, you know, Coach Kenny in terms of where his expertise does lie. But apparently, 
that expertise is just not going to be where the Nets direction and, and their championship hopes do lie. Yeah, I think it. a lot of people have said this in the NBA media that the Nets had a plan and Kenny was the perfect coach for that plan. But the problem is that plan drastically changed when Kyrie and KD signed this this past summer. Now, all of a sudden, instead of that that slow grind or rising in the standings, you had that instant buildup of becoming a contender in one summer because you added, you know, two superstar level players. And I think there's just a question of, hey, was Kenny ready to be that guy? But like you said, Jack, he's done a ton for this franchise, turned some of these players into fringe all-stars to possible all-stars in the future, you know, help change the culture, help change the image of Brooklyn. And they wouldn't have Kyrie or KD if Kenny didn't do what he did with this team over the last couple of seasons. Are you in agreement with a lot of, you know, New York media, NBA media in, in the sense that this is the end of quote unquote Brooklyn Nets culture? I mean, I can understand why people say that, but I think the culture or whatever you want to call it was slightly changing as Kyrie and KD change. Even on the court, you could kind of see a little bit change this year. But Sean Marks also said is like, there's still, you know, most of the staff is still there. You know, Kenny Atkinson was one person. He was a big part of the organization and the culture. But Sean Marks is still there. The rest of the front office, the other pieces on the coaching staff, and some of the core players from that era. So I think it is changing. But I think it's more of um, developing. And it's more of like an evolution to that next step of like, we are a championship team. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think Nets Daily put something out and then the, the the response tweet from the BK Brigade was like, you know, this is the culture now and it's a photo of Kevin Durant. You know, the yeah. super, superstar players are your culture. And yes, you know, Kevin Durant's coming off an Achilles injury. Yes, Kyrie Irving, one of the more, you know, erratic superstars in, in the NBA right now is, is, a, is it a culture you want to buy into. I can't wait to see, you know, all the, the Boston Celtics and Bill Simmons pods and Ryan Rosillo pods and uh, jump in and, and say why this was a bad decision. You know, uh, our guy Doug at, uh, at, Nets, at Nets Republic posted out the original tweet from Kevin O'Connor and it was sort of rolling out and then it had the, you know, the triangle and the eye emoji inferring that it was Kyrie Irving's, some in part, of, in part Kyrie Irving's decision, but... Um, should we get to, I guess, the, the the press conference, Nick, and maybe why this did happen? Um, what do you want to touch on first? Is that there's plenty to get to. But I guess before we get to that, Jack, did you feel like there was any hints that this might happen and we maybe just missed them? But now as we look in hindsight, like, hey, that's something that happened that maybe we should have picked up on a little bit more. There was, I, I think you posted it, Nick, or someone did, uh, a, a Wilson Chandler tweet or Instagram post about like, you know, the world is a funny place or some, something along the, the sentiments of that. And it's sort of just like, uh, okay. And the fact that it, it came from, you know, Wilson Chandler, it, it's sort of, you, you, you sweep it under the rug a little bit. You know, the D-Lo comments sort of, you know, we've never heard D'Angelo Russell say anything poorly about the Brooklyn Nets organization in the past. And it's only in the past sort of few weeks or so that we've seen him, you know, now that he's on the Minnesota Timberwolves, you know, chime up a little bit and sort of make his thoughts known on a public platform. So I think those things do, uh, do, do make some sense in some sense or another, but the hints were, were very small, if any. Yeah, it seemed like the players didn't really have any hints either because, you know, Spencer, Joe, Karras all did a press conference and they didn't really mention anything. But obviously Nets have great PR, so they probably wouldn't leak that. But I think the comment about D'Lo in hindsight makes a little bit more sense. 
you know, uh, it was after Karis Avert had that 51-point game. The NBA.com Instagram posted something, and under it, D'Lo wrote, "I right, so let's never hold him back anymore. He's built. And it feels like maybe D'Lo, speaking from a situation that he was in with the Nets and under Kenny, is where Kenny was kind of benching him, not giving him the minutes he felt like he deserved. And I think there's an argument that's kind of happened to Karis this year. Obviously, there's an injury and then coming back from that. But I know a lot of fans are upset that Garrett Temple is getting more minutes than Karis Avert at times. Uh, Nick, there isn't an argument for it. It's happened. It's not. It's you can make it as plain as day that that did happen. We discussed it quite regularly on the pod. It's just like, why is Garrett Temple still starting? Why is Carol Savert, you know, being benched in an OKC game where we had a real opportunity to win? That was probably one of the more angrier moments that I've had. He, Karis to- looked angry. That was probably the the worst body language I've seen from Karis, other than when they lost in the playoffs. And he, Carol Savert, in terms of one of the more he's been known to be coach kenny's guy spencer dimwini is called carol savert you know coach's pet teacher's pet before so for him to show any sort of sense of emotion in terms of a decision by the head coach in the former head coach sorry in, in kenny atkinson you know it shows something so i think that maybe those moments did build up a little bit nick and you know, Coach Kenny, um, Sean Marks didn't necessarily say that it was the the players, specific players per se. But at the end of the day, you know, I don't think it was Sean Marks' decision. I, I, we went back and forth and we chatted a lot before this podcast and sort of piece things together. You know, Sean Marks and Coach Kenny seemed to have like a, a match made in heaven, a synergy. They were on the same page, which is essentially what you want with your GM and head coach. You don't want there to be that fracture and direction, you know, sort of what ha- might be happening in Philadelphia right now where Elton Brand and, and all the different GM there are just throwing different pieces at Brett Brown and he sort of has to adjust on the fly it seems to me that the direction uh, and uh, of the of the organization was in line with what Sean Marks had and, and coach Kenny had until I guess these sort of last few weeks where these rumblings have sort of come out that were sort of starting to piece together it is it, it's it's still shocking but it's not as shocking like I mentioned now that we have the comments now that we're sort of able to see and go okay well maybe you know we should have read into those things a little bit more maybe we should be looking at this maybe Kenny Atkinson isn't going to be a championship coach but you know listening to some other podcasts and other commentary Nick I and Zach Lowe sort of brought this up and, and I'm not sure if it's been brought up on Twitter yet I know there has been some things about the comments and more right relation to DeAndre Jordan but it's sort of the, the 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 direct relation, direct comparison is, you know, Spolstra in Miami, you get your superstar in with and your big three in with LeBron James, Chris Bosch, Dwayne Wade, and you got Pat Riley as the sort of head of things there, overseeing things, and he's like, nah, Spolstra staying, you you ship in or you buy in or you buy out. Whereas it seems to me Marx has sort of been like, Look, Joseph Sai has say more sway here, he's the guy's that, uh, that makes that cuts the checks at the end of the day. And the players, it's a player-driven league, and we are now a player-driven culture. Uh, that is what our culture is now. It seems to me like maybe – do you think it's a bad decision, Nick? You know, I think it's it's impossible to say that right now. I think okay. – I, I, maybe you could say it's a bad decision to do it at this time and not wait to the end of the season. But like I said, if Kenny wanted it to happen now, I think that's okay if you want to do that to kind of, you know, uh, grant his wish of letting him go. But it's tough to say because who, if they get another head coach and they win a championship next season or the season after that, 
I don't think you can call it a bad move because championships are so valuable valuable in this league. So I think at that at this point, it's really tough to say. I know some people feel like Kenny's been disrespected because he did all this work for this franchise, got them to this point, and now he's not even going to have the opportunity to coach a great roster, which I can understand that because you know he has worked extremely hard and he hasn't necessarily had any great teams, and this was probably his best team, and they've been injured most of the year. Absolutely, and you know, Kyrie Irving was healthy for some parts. In terms of, we're going to wildly speculate. We have a podcast. We're not <laughs> accredited. We don't have any sort of, you know, things that we have to buy into or, or people we have to speak about. Kyrie Irving and Coach Kenny's relationship, Nick, in the very short tenure and in terms of on the bench and in terms of when you see them talking and, and behind the scenes and, you know, any sort of body language, how do you think that was, or what can you comment on that just as an objective observer of over the 20 games and sort of, you know, three quarters of a season that Kyrie Irving has been a Brooklyn net? Yeah, I mean, objectively, it's really hard to say there was much negative things publicly. And like, we're not in the locker room, we're not at every practice, so we don't see the interactions daily. But at least during the games, and then like a lot of people posted today, like after, you know, Kyrie came back after Kobe passed away, you know, him and Kenny shared that moment after the game or as he came to the bench, gave him the hug, and you could feel there was some real emotion. And like, I mean, they spoke pretty highly about each other. I'm not sure where the relationship was at. And also, I just think about it in the perspective of, like, he really only coached him for 20 games. Like, yeah, uh, Kyrie was around the organization and things like that, but he really only coached him for 20 games. And in, in that sense, it seemed to me that Coach Kenny was more lenient in terms of his philosophy and game Kyrie. And- for Kyrie than any other player who's ever coached. And that's saying something because Kyrie Irving has built up a rapport. But, you know, in terms of when Kyrie Irving was in Boston, he had to more buy into the system in Boston and under Brad Stevens. And you can tell that Brad Stevens has a sort of similar sort of style of coach, player development, sort of, you know, under the radar, not big sort of personality, that sort of thing. You know, not necessarily player empowerment, but more system empowerment and system basketball. Kyrie Irving played some tremendous basketball there, but it didn't necessarily fit with his individual philosophy. Whereas I think that he was able to thrive a little bit more under coach Kenny and play his more natural basketball despite the fact that some of his natural instincts didn't necessarily mesh with the sort of egalitarian you know ball movement sort of system pace and space system that coach Kenny did thoroughly emphasize and will thoroughly emphasize to whatever team he does take to next and I have full confidence that he will take it to his next team. Yeah, I think the system he has is great. I think, you know, the issue with Kenny was more so adjustments. But talking about his relationship with Kyrie and in the system, I, I agree, Jack. I think he gave him, you know, leniency to do kind of what he wanted. That's why we saw two 50-point games from him. And he was able to kind of do his own thing, incorporate some of what the Nets wanted, but at the same time still do what Kyrie wanted. And I think some of that's just Kenny's coaching style with veteran players probably as he moved forward was kind of just let them do their thing instead of kind of enforcing things. And maybe that's something they didn't look at. but. In your eyes, Jack, what would you say was the main reason Kenny and the Nets parted ways? Like, what was the main reason, or is it just give me multiple reasons? I mean, it's it's, it's never one thing, Nick, and I don't think we'll ever know the full story. But I think it's it, he seems to have said he Kenny said himself, and this is via Sean Marks that he lost his voice in the locker room. That is the reason why he is not the Brooklyn Nets head coach anymore. Who he lost the voice with, whether his voice just dulled in impact, I think it was probably a combination of factors. Maybe it wasn't having the same impact with guys that it did in the past. Maybe now that Spencer Dimwitty is at a point in his career and where he's built up, you know, his sort of status to where it is. Same with Carol Savert, same with Joe Harris. You know, you can, when you built up a rapport, it's a player-driven league. It always is, and it always will be, you know, going forward in the modern NBA. 
unless you are uh, a, a Greg Popovich, a, a Mike D'Antoni, a Rick Carlisle, a guys that have won championships or on the precipice of championships, you don't have the same gravity as you do when you are an NBA superstar. You know, you're not going to buy into you know everything the coach says. And you know, we there was a a, a post. Uh, after the the really disappointing loss to the Memphis Grizzlies, there was like you know these post game meetings. Coach Kenny came out 40 minutes later than normal, which is not normally the same behavior. We saw it from you know all the guys in that Daily, Matt Brooks, Anthony Puccio, the guys at the Athletic. Maybe that was some behind the scenes stuff that rubbed the players the wrong way. Maybe it was Coach Kenny sort of telling the players that you know this is this is my end. I don't know. I wasn't there. It'd be awesome to be a fly on the wall now, but I think it, the the main reason is Nick that. He wasn't having the same impact on the locker room th- this season as he had in years past. And I think it's easier for Coach Kenny to have an impact on players that are more malleable. Our players now are at a point where they don't have the same... This, aren't, they aren't as malleable. They're, they're like, okay, well, uh, you've built me up to this point. I need I need someone else to take me to the next level, be it like a, a sort of Mark Jackson, Steve Kerr situation, whatever you want to make a comparison point to. But for me, Nick, it was the fact that I think his voice wasn't resonating he said that, despite the fact that, you know, Sean Marks said it was 17 players other decision, uh, he wasn't having the same impact with the players. And I think that that, for me, is the overriding decision why Coach Kenny is no longer the Brooklyn Nets coach. And I think you could even look to the recent games as maybe evidence for that. You know, Orlando game, they blew a lead in that game. You can't feel great. Washington, they lose to a team who's not very good, who's behind them in the playoff race and game they definitely should have won. And then on, you know, February 28th, my birthday, they get blown out by the Hawks in probably one of the most embarrassing games of the season. You know, then they play Miami the next night. They're pretty much getting beat most of the game. They're able to make a small comeback at the end. Boston, it looks like it's going to be another blowout until Karras has a historical performance. So I think that's not really as much coaching of anything. It's just, you know, this guy having a career night that just changed the game. And then Memphis, you look at that. I think if there was a game where you want to say somebody lost a locker room, getting blown out by a team of Memphis' stature at home in a playoff race by 40 points is pretty embarrassing. I can't really explain last night's game. Maybe the team was just embarrassed for how bad they played, but I think there might be evidence that he lost a locker room. And some people will say, oh, well, that's just the Nets trying to cover themselves. But I think it's a fair point. And I don't want to say, you know, the players didn't respect Kenny, but he hasn't done a ton in the league in terms of the eyes of the veterans, where some of his younger players might still buy in because that's all they've known and he'd helped them get to this point. But other guys who are coming in new, it's like, do, do we really buy into what this guy is telling us? Do you think it was unfair that he got fired, Nick? You know, I know that some people are sort of saying that Coach Kenny was the the guy that built this team up in terms of people who are probably more Coach Kenny, you know, in, in terms of in favor of what he's done for this organization. Do you think he deserved to have a shot at coaching Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and whoever else was on this roster next season for a championship? Or do you think that, you know, it was it was a warranted decision? I think, uh, you know, there's an argument to be made. He should have had an opportunity because he coached, you know, some terrible rosters and did some nice things with them. But if Sean Marks felt, and I think Sean Marks did play some part in this decision in saying that, you know, Kenny just needed to develop longer. And he was kind of making some of the mistakes we've seen in the past. And and I would say at times this year, and we've talked about it on the buzz, he wasn't really coaching. It was almost like he was coaching scared instead of trying to get creative or making these big adjustments in game to help them win. So they felt that he wasn't ready for the stage to be a championship coach. I think letting him go and not letting him coach the Katie and Kyrie team, 
isn't the worst idea because like we've kind of talked about in the past, they're only going to have them for so long. You never know what will happen with injuries or whatever it might be. So that window to win a championship is not going to be big. And if you don't think you have the right guy, why waste a year or yeah, even a half that, a year? Yep. Yep. That's it. And at the end of the day, you know, he, he signed an extension. Coach Kenny only signed an extension in just last year. And he like, got, he's getting like, his money. So, so he's going to be getting paid out. And obviously, you know, whichever team does take him over, you know, we'll, we'll probably end up paying the brunt of that anyway. But yeah, it is. I mean, there is an argument for both. I think that I don't think Coach Kenny <clears throat> this season has shown what he can be as a coach in, in terms of to the to his fullest capabilities. I think that we saw more of his his expertise as a player development guy, a guy behind the scenes, a guy who, you know, when he, when he gets time at practices, when he gets time, you know, one-on-one -on -one with these players to watch film, that's where he has thrived in the past. That's what, why we see, you know, late first round picks, G League, G League castaways, you know, young, um, un, under-heralded uh, prospects turn into really capable NBA players because of Kenny Atkinson. But... How has he been able to do that when it comes to superstars? We don't know. There, there isn't exactly anything to judge it off. Kyrie Irving had a tremendous 20 games statistically, but was that Coach Kenny's coaching? Maybe a little bit, but I would say it's more just the fact that Kyrie Irving is an incredibly talented individual player. And I think that Coach Kenny, if he is ever given that, maybe he's only going to be, and I think it would be disappointing, but maybe he's only going to be that coach in the NBA. Maybe he's going to be bouncing around to teams like the Cavs and, and these sort of developing teams and then sort of, you know, is cast away and thrown to another team and then gone, okay, well, now we need the sort of next step coach, the sort of proven coach. Um, I, I don't know, but maybe that could be his his tenure and his professional career for, for some time to come. I think he deserves it. Whatever team he goes to next, be it a Cleveland, I, I mean, we'll, we'll speak about different teams uh, in, in upcoming, but I think he deserves a five, ten-year tenure with them to sort of see it out in, in a sense that, you know, he built them up. He deserves to sort of see it through. But, you know, the trajectory can change in an instant in any NBA organization. It's, it's, a, it's a wild and wacky league. And I think some people are ignoring the fact that the Nets play in a big market. They play in Brooklyn. They play in New York. Joseph Tsai just bought the team. They have all this money invested into the team. They have these superstars. So the window is, you know, things need to happen quick. It's just how New York sports are. And I think if Kenny was in a smaller market, he might not end up in the situation. Or even if KD and Kyrie don't sign and the Nets are more doing the slow build and, you know, they're still developing these guys in the full-on All-Stars or taking that jump and whatever it might be. But I also think Sean Marks kind of hinted at in his press conference that maybe they weren't fully happy with the development of some of the other guys on the team. You know, Rodion's, I don't know how much was on him, how much was on Kenny, him not taking a step. And, you know, Jared Allen, I don't. I think he's taken a small step, but I don't think he's taken a giant step. Maybe that's something they've been concerned about. I think there was enough from a coaching perspective that, you know, I, I don't want to say warrants a firing, but makes you think about it. And I, don't, I think people are ignoring that fact. And I'm not saying Kenny's a bad coach by any standard. I think, like you mentioned, Jack, he's one of the best player development coaches in the league. Like I would, if I had a young situation I was rebuilding, Kenny would be at the top of my list. But for coaching a championship team, I can see why Sean Marks and the organization had concern. I, I agree with you, Nick. I, I think it's probably not being talked about enough in terms of Coach Kenny's coaching performance, what his in-game adjustments are in terms of how he coaches for 48 minutes in a game. And 
we've rarely seen him make sort of that sort of jump. You know, obviously, the probably the biggest one, the one that we've been in terms of experimentation and letting things sort of flow is the sort of Boston Celtics game you alluded to. But I think it was more so his hand was forced about Carol Sever just absolutely balling out and the players around him were just doing their thing as well. Uh, do you want to jump into some of the the quotes, Nick? I've got a I've got a few here listed, yeah. and we can sort of analyze what Sean Marks did say during that press conference. And and, uh, and here's one of them: I would have loved Kenny to be here long term. I think we all have ideas that this is going to last forever, and we'll keep building this together. We had a great run for four years. We enjoyed each other. I think we grew immensely. He grew as a coach. Hopefully, I've grown as a GM and so so forth. We made plenty of mistakes and we had fun along the way. These are the circumstances. The position we find ourselves in now is what helps us get to the next level. And I think we debated and what we deliberated on is that this was a time where the team needs another voice and that's where we are at. Yeah, I think it's kind of a lot of what we talked about is like, you know, Sean and Kenny, I think, had a good relationship. I don't think there was any bad blood. I think they communicated straight up and honestly, and maybe Kenny just felt he wasn't connecting with his team and he couldn't get them to buy in what his philosophy was. And the best thing was for the Nets to take that next up and get to that championship level. They need a different voice and maybe somebody with more experience. Yeah, and I mean, it's it, it sort of echoes the sentiments that we've sort of made, Nick. And, and another one in terms of, you know, him being able to, to coach the team in the future. I can't comment on, on whether he could have or would have or should have gotten the chance to coach them. I would have liked to see him coach those guys. There's no question of that. But the situation and circumstances of where we are today is we're trying to take this program from where we are now to another level. And we've agreed, along with ownership, that a change was necessary at this time to do that. Yeah, I think there is something there. We don't know what it is. You can tell there's something there that we don't know. I don't know if it's the players being unhappy. I don't know if it's Joseph Sai being unhappy with maybe he had higher expectations or guys not getting minutes or whatever it might be, or maybe just the fact that you know someone in the organization thought Karis LeVert should have had more time to shine, and now he had a triple-double in a 51-point game this week, and all of a sudden it kind of makes Kenny look stupid for not playing him more in the past. I don't know what it is exactly, or maybe it's Kyrie and KD not getting along with him or whatever it might be. There's definitely something behind that quote that we won't know. Yeah, and you know the the Brooklyn Nets are generally pretty good at sort of hiding those things. But you know we've seen more sort of national media speculate on the team as of late because of you know when you have superstars, you know there are going to be more leaks, there are more sort of connections to the organization itself. But in terms of the specifics, this is what Sean Marks did say. He said, "I think what happens in the locker room, I would like to think stays in there. I would like to get specific and granular on all different types of things." But at the, end of the at the end of the day, this is a compromise that both Kenny and I and ownership came up with. I think I said before, it was time. Kenny grinded and did everything he could, but it was time for another voice in that locker room, and it's our job now to find it. The Another voice, Nick, seems to be sort of a running trend of what Sean Marks is saying. Yeah, it's like the key word in this press conference here. Another voice, it just... Maybe they just weren't connecting with Kenny or they just weren't buying to what he was doing because maybe it just didn't match the team schematically. You know, we look at the team, what Kenny wanted to do is shoot a lot of threes and, you know, do a lot of layups and uh, defensively not allow that to happen and force mid-range shots. And I think certain games and certain times and maybe with this roster because it lacks a ton of great three-point shooting with Katie and Kyrie out, they weren't seeing the adjustments and it caused a disconnect. Well, we saw it at points early in the season, you know, Coach Kenny holding up damn signs for them <laughs> to play defense in certain sort of ways. And Kyrie Irving saying post-game in terms of like, you know, some of these young guys just don't know where to be and, and what to do. 
And I guess that when you're speaking about that, you know, Coach Kenny is sort of an impact on those guys on the floor. Has he drummed into them the sort of specifics that he wants out of them on the defensive side of the floor? If Kyrie Irving is frustrated at the players not being able to do something, that also resonates and, and goes back to Coach Kenny individually. But... You know, he talked about the players, and I think that this is something that we've sort of talked about and we can analyze a little bit more as well. He said the same way all 17 players factored into it when asked if Irving and Durant played a part. I just got talking, done talking with them now and updating them. Do you? Th- this is a decision that wasn't even about Kevin, Kyrie, Karras, Joe Spencer, Jared Allen. This was a decision Kenny, myself, and ownership came up with, and the players were all ta- told this morning ahead of the release. How much of that do you think is spin, Nick? Yeah, I think... Katie and Kyrie are going to play a bigger part in the decision. Anytime your best players and guys that are going to help you win a championship are going to have a bigger say. And I think Zach Lowe brought up on his podcast. If, you know, Katie and Kyrie went to bat for Kenny and said, Hey, we want this guy to be our head coach next year. He's going to lead us to a championship. He'd probably still be here, but I don't think it's saying that Katie and Kyrie pushed him out and were like, Hey guys, if you want us to stay here, we need him to be gone. I think it was just more of like, I'm just going to clean my hands of the situation and you guys do what you want to do. And if you're seeing a disconnect, we're not going to do anything to interact with that. Yeah. And I guess what it shows in that respect is coach Kenny, not that he doesn't didn't necessarily impact on the team and, and those guys that he just didn't have the, the requisite, the, 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 the gravity of the impact that he wanted for him to stay there if like you said and Stefan Bondi put out in a tweet as well if Kyrie and Katie wanted him to be there he'd be there there is no doubt about that whatsoever but whether it is the fact that there's obviously some sort of spectrum to this in terms of whether Kyrie didn't mesh with with Kenny at all or whether it it was just that there was a a sense of indifference and there was just like you guys do you will buy into a coach but I think they'll have some sort of say in who might be the next coach. Maybe they won't. I don't know, but I have a feeling that they will be consulted somewhat, despite the fact that, you know, we look at what's happening in LA right now. Ty Lue was, was set to be the Los Angeles Lakers coach, essentially because LeBron James has great ties with him. And it was almost signed, signed on the dotted line before they changed direction. It's like, nah, we're not giving you this money. We're going to go with Frank Vogel. And there's been, as soon as that signing happened, there was rumblings. It's almost like, all right, Jason Kidd's hiding here. He's going to be taken over within months. But Frank Vogel has had an incredible impact on that team. So, I mean, it's sort of like if we're making direct comparisons, you know, Kenny had the opportunity to have some sort of impact on the superstars, despite the fact that they didn't really have the opportunity to get, to get out there uh, in, in terms of, you know, if the, the Brooklyn Nets were exceeding expectations and in a top four, top five seed, I would have guessed that, you know, that they could have taken that next step to be a, a real bona fide number one. But whereas now we're sort of, you know, hanging on to a playoff spot and, you know, the jump from seven to one is a massive one. Not saying that we can't do it, but is Coach Kenny the, the guy to do that? Obviously not. And obviously there is an agreement in terms of the parties involved. I'm bigger on the fact that it's Joseph Sinek. I think that, you know, it gets under... It probably doesn't get underrated, but you know, for true NBA fans that follow the league, they know the impact that ownership has on the day-to-day runnings of an organization. James Dolan is in the news on a daily basis because <laughs> of his wild and wacky behavior and the, the press releases that happen. Joseph Tsai, other than the sort of the, the, the saga with China and, and Beijing, we haven't really had much to criticize him about or sort of debate him about. Whereas today... You know, he came out with a tweet. He said, I'm extremely grateful to Kenny Atkinson for what he's done for our franchise over the years. If we did not have him, we would not be where we are, promising young guys still improving all the best Kenny. 
I think this was probably, if we're ranking who the, the overriding decision maker in this was, Nick, I think it's Joseph Sai and the players like a sort of, you know, maybe 45, 45% split. And the, the, the other 10% was a Sean Marks. I think Sean Marks probably, you know, is doing what his boss says, quote unquote. And, you know, he runs the, he, he does, you know, we've, we've seen before, you know, GMs run this organization into the ground because of what ownership asks of them. And maybe I'm not saying that it's the same circumstances, but it seems to me Joseph Sire is having a massive voice in the decision that was just made. Yeah, I think he definitely had a big impact in the voice. I think Sean Marks probably had a little a little bigger impact because Sean really thought Kenny was the right guy. He, I don't think he would have let Joseph Side do it, but I think there was some concern in Sean's eyes. Like there, I think anybody who watched this team last year and this year, I think there is a little concern about the in-game adjustments and what he can do and kind of making the right reaction in time. And you know, some of it even just is calling a timeout at the right time. Like there was times where games just got out of hand this season where you just felt like if you had a timeout maybe six possessions sooner, you could have saved the game. And I think the development for Kenny, I think he could turn into a championship head coach, but I'm not sure if he would be there next year or he would be there the year after. And I think that provides concern for someone like Sean because at the end of the day, as much as he loves his relationship with Kenny, his goal is to win a championship and he has to keep his job. And like you said, he has to keep his boss happy. If the boss is concerned about, you know, maybe Kenny not living up to expectations and there being concern going to next season, have that conversation with Kenny and then you guys can figure it out I would say this about Kenny too was he dealt the best hand this season no like he had players injured it was always going to be that in between year with KD being out did he coach probably to the best of his abilities this year probably not did he do a bad job no but did he do an amazing job no yeah, uh, I agree with you on that, Nick. And I guess we can sort of, you know, jump around and sort of, you know, guess we'll get eventually to some of your responses, guys. And we appreciate everyone who sort of jumped in with that. And we've, we might have touched them already. But, you know, I, I think some of the tweets that have been popping around and, you know, from the player tomorrow. <laughs> there is a lot. And, and if we do miss any, I apologize. And we might have to do a bonus pod. I don't know. But Damari Carroll was one that stuck out for me, Nick. Somebody has to explain why a great capitalized great coach like Kenny Atkinson gets fired. I think that the interpretation of this from the players is so damn varied. You know, if we look at Damari Carroll individually, you know, he was a salary dump um, and in terms of where Sean Marks got him. And Damari was given all the opportunity in the world as a starter to thrive as, a, as an NBA player. You know, he played some of his best basketball outside of the Atlanta years in Brooklyn. He was an absolute stud for us in terms of, you know, the, the, lo the locker room presence, the relationship and veteran presence he provided alongside D'Angelo Russell's rise. And you could see that he was sort of a, a player coach of sorts. You know, Jared Dudley with the wow and the, the plethora of exclamation marks before, you know, D'Angelo Russell chimed in with the old uh, no face emoji. And then was it Rodion's Kurt's manager, Nick, that, yes. you, that you, you sent to me? What was the response there again? He just had the peeking eyes. So that's always like a very vague response, but usually it's like, oh, okay. Like, I mean, obviously Rodion's situation this year has been weird. And even last year, Rodion's really had good stints and then he wasn't getting minutes. And the only time he ended up finally forcing himself into the rotation when there was injuries and he played so well, Kenny couldn't kind of put him back to the bench because of what he provided. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I think that 
I've in, in terms of comments that I've heard before, Sean Marks has, and Coach Kenny have sort of said that when it comes to the older players, they sort of let them know behind the scenes if, if there is a change coming in terms of their minutes or whatever. But when it comes to the young guys, they sort of just have to adjust. You know, Nicholas Claxton all season has always been like, you know, it's a day-by-day thing to me. You know, I don't know if I'm playing G League. If I don't know if I'm playing in the NBA, I'm just staying ready. And I think Rodion Kuritz has been the same. But I think Rodion's hasn't been able to take the mentality. And I think it's on Coach Kenny as well in terms of his communication style with some of those young players to be like, look, we appreciate what you're doing. But, you know, right now the minutes just aren't there. And, and I think that the consistency with, with the individual players, we could go through every single player on this, or on this roster and analyze the relationship and the history that they have had with Coach Kenny. There have been at least some moments where there have been like, well, I wonder what, if Coach Kenny's making the right decision in relation to the development playing time, whatever you want to think about their, you know, playing career. You know, Coach Kenny's had his moments with pretty much every player on this organization, you know, in some form or another, positive or negative. And, you know, in at the end of the day, everyone's going to have their thoughts. And it's, um, I mean, it, I don't know what more you can say. There's going to be polarizing views across the spectrum. And also, I think you have to look at it, too. It's like you remember these guys are NBA professionals, especially the guys still employed by the Nets. It's still PR. Public relations is still important. So you're not really going to get a ton of information from them. If you listen to what, you know, Joe, Spencer, and Karis had to say, you know, they really didn't say anything negative. They essentially were thanking uh, Kenny for what they did in their careers. And they understood it's a business and this type of thing can happen and it can happen to anyone. Do you think, Nick, we haven't really touched on it yet, but it was sort of one of the takeaways from that podcast we did spoke about with um, Kevin Arnovitz and, and Zach Lowe. He mentioned the DeAndre Jordan sort of benching and he he made a point of it and then he sort of backtracked a little bit on it. I mean, I think it's worth sort of talking about the players that he wasn't resonating with. I know I spoke about in terms of the fact that he may not have been resonating more with the guys that have a history with the, with the organization. But these new guys, Wilson Chandler, Garrett Temple, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, uh, Torian Prince, uh, DeAndre Jordan, was Coach Kenny having an impact with them? Was he not? Give me your thoughts. Yeah, I think it's tough to say. I will say I heard a tidbit. I want to say it was from Ian Eagle on a TNT broadcast saying that DeAndre wasn't really vibing with the team until about a month ago. So maybe there was some disconnect early on, but they started to find that connection. And the whole DeAndre situation in the bench, I mean, it could have played the smallest role, but it was really, I think, just minimum and where it matters because DeAndre still closed a lot of games this year. He was still getting good minutes. And I'm not sure about the other guys. Wilson Chandler, I know him and Kenny already had a relationship from when uh, he was an assistant coach with the Knicks. Garrett Temple seems like he's the type of guy that's liked by everyone. And based off of what we saw publicly with Kyrie and KD, it's hard to say if there was any negative stuff. I think a lot of things we'll just really never know because we're not in the locker room. And like Sean Mark said, what happens in the locker room, he kind of expects to stay in the locker room. Yeah, and I mean, Torian Prince, in terms of the impact he's had on him, we haven't seen. I don't even Tor- know what's good with Torian Prince. <laughs> I, I don't know either. I don't know if, if what coach, if any, will have an impact on Torian Prince in terms of, you know, his development. Maybe it comes to a Mike D'Antonio or Greg Popovich to really yeah. do, to get him to sort of straighten up. But in terms of that, Nick, I, I think you are on the mark. I think it 
probably was more the sort of veteran guys, you know, but behind the scenes, you know, the, the Malika Andrews piece about DeAndre Jordan earlier in the season, him sort of saying that, you know, it, it did shock him. It was a sort of, it did take him aback about, you know, sort of being benched. You know, at the end of the day, these guys, the image of being coming off the bench compared to playing 30 minutes off the bench and, you know, the starter playing 20 minutes is a thing. And it matters to those guys. And, and, and you know, image matters. And I think DeAndre did have, you know, some time to adjust to that. And I think that, you know, we've seen of late where, you know, him picking up the dimes, he seems to be, other than Theo Pinson, probably the, the main locker room sort of gelling presence. Probably Spencer Dimwitty as well to an extent. But DeAndre Jordan in terms of how he is as a teammate, those sort of pre-game handshakes, you know, the relationship he has with the players seems to be very strong. Obviously, Yeah, and the- I'll just throw this in there real quick, Jack. I just don't want to no. lose the point. Is yesterday, even when Karras got his triple-double, DeAndre was calling out Vert every single rebound so Karras could get the rebound to get his triple-double. First guy off the bench to hug Karras after he got the triple-double, DeAndre Jordan. I think DeAndre Jordan is one of... You can argue about the the contract till till the cows come home, and you know I we know you've seen, you've heard our thoughts about it plenty on this podcast, but you can't underestimate the impact that he has on his team. And you know you when you're spending six months with straight with with these guys, you need a guy to lighten the mood. You need a guy that just goes into bat for you. You know, let, no matter what it is, and you know he goes into bat for his teammates one to fifteen. You know he's. The, the 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 relationship with Jared Allen, I think that there that has been nothing but positive, despite the fact that I think it's probably been more on Kenny in terms of if there's any fracture there in terms of how he has allocated minutes and how he's allocated their development. I think it's more on him in terms of that sense than the any sort of fracture between the two players directly. They seem to have a great rapport. So I mean in that sort of sense, Nick, there's just you know we could we could continue to analyze this to the cows come home. But do you want to get to some listener questions? Do we want to talk about the offseason and any future candidates uh, that we might want or see on the cards? Do you think Sean Marks does have a list? What are we going to touch on next? Yeah, let's go with the offseason future candidates, and then we'll jump into the rest of the season, and then we'll finish off with the questions. Because we might uh, tackle some of the question stuff as we kind of go through. Yeah, I think we already have. We got a, we got some questions as well that have sort of been touched on a little bit, but we will certainly still reference them because we do appreciate any of the responses. And shout out to our guy, Will Jackson, who has put literally together a list of people who uh, seem to be somewhere in the Nets Twitter sphere or Nets sphere of future coaching candidates. And I will just, I'll rattle the names off. David Fisdale, Ty Lu, Becky Hammond, Greg Popovich, Tim Duncan, Mike D'Antoni, Jason Kidd, Mark Jackson, Lionel Hollins, Tom Thibodeau, Jeff Van Gundy. Any other names that I'm missing here, Nick, that might've been, or you think should be on the list or might be on the list or have been listed. I've heard Stan Van Gundy's name thrown around a little bit. Okay. Other okay. than I, I think I would prefer him over Jeff. I'm not sure who yes. my favorite candidate is at this point, you know, just because I'd have to really sit down and think about it in like in terms of the relationships. People have mentioned Popovich, obviously one of the best coaches of all time. If he was leaving San Antonio to come to the Nets, the coaches team, I'd find that extremely interesting. It's hard to say no to Popovich, but also I don't know how interested he is like into coaching at this exact moment because the Spurs team haven't been amazing. So I think a lot of the names on the list, to be honest, weren't realistic. Like anybody who doesn't have experience, especially coaching at least like an Eastern Conference championship team or Western Conference finals, whatever you want to talk about doesn't really have a chance at the job. Like, unless you have some type of good playoff experience, I don't think they're going to look at a guy uh, a guy or a woman. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I, I think that, you know, we've seen the, the Greg Popovich thing grow a bit of steam because, you know, he is the best coach of all time, if not top two, top three. You know, the success that he's had with the San Antonio Spurs, Sean Marks is a product of that system. Maybe Joe Sides just got out the checkboard and, and is just like, look, we want you for two years, Pop. We want you to retire here in Brooklyn. We'll throw all the money at you. You know, you, you know what you can do. We know what you can do. We can see you've lost your sort of, you know, your heart in the in terms of the San Antonio organization. We're making the playoffs next season no matter what. We need a stalwart performer. You know, Popovich would be 1 or 1A one on my list. You know, I've, I have been thinking about this a little bit, Nick, before we did uh, come into this. For me, Mike D'Antoni is my favorite, if not my second favorite candidate, because how he has empowered his players, how he has adjusted his systems offensively, defensively over the years. He's not a championship coach, but he probably is un- an unlucky not to be a championship coach. Chris Paul what- hamstring away. <laughs> Exactly. And, and you know, what he's done in Phoenix and, you know, obviously he had his time in LA, but I think that was more of a, a behind the scenes player thing than what he did. But, you know, how he empowered Steve Nash and turned him, turned him into the MVP that he is. James Harden turned, uh, turning him to be an otherworldly all-time superstar. You know, reinvigorating Russell Westbrook. And obviously Daryl Morey has a, you know, some sort of say in that. But funnily enough, before the game today, and they, they are currently playing, Mike D'Antoni was asked about it, and I quote this, Nick, the only thing Coach Kenny has done there in the last two years for sure is overachieve. I don't know what else he could have done. Do you think that the rapport that D'Antoni and Atkinson have could prevent D'Antoni ever actually being the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets anyway? Yeah, I actually think it could. They have yeah. a pretty strong relationship. And I mean, I think sometimes coaches will be upset with an organization, especially if it's a good friend of his. And he's like, okay, I don't want to go there. I also like feel like D'Antoni's going to end up staying in Houston, especially because it seems like he's having success with a team, more success than they typically were going to have until he made this change of small ball. And I think I like the creativity he has. One thing that scares me about D'Antoni is sometimes the lack of like in-game adjustments, similar to what we saw with Kenny is like, you know, it just comes to mind when the Rockets missed all those three pointers. Obviously that was their style of play, but like, Hey, tell the team to stop shooting threes and change it up for that game because you just need that one game to get to the finals. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a fair sort of point. I think Mike D'Antoni is sort of maybe what Coach Kenny could turn into if he's given yeah. the opportunity one day. Which isn't and a I, bad thing. <laughs> not at all, not at all. It's a, it's a, it's a life, it's a sort of career coach, you know, a 20, 30 year coach in this league that's going to make an impact in different organizations, maybe have a chance in a championship here and there. I mean, I'm about it. I, I want it. Um, I, I, give me D'Antoni, give me Pop. Anyone else I'm I'm lukewarm to. And I will, you know, I trust the decision-making of the Brooklyn Nets organization. But by God, if it's Mark damn Jackson. Give me, give I'm, me some guys that, or guys or girls that you definitely do not want. It's essentially just Mark Jackson. <laughs> and it is based purely off this comment yesterday about former Brooklyn Nets legend and one of my favorite players in the history of my NBA fandom, Brook Lopez. He said that Brook Lopez is the worst defender on the Milwaukee Bucks last night in the Bucks-Lakers matchup. Now, that is just idiotic with a capital I-D-I-O-T-I-C because Brook Lopez is a damn defensive player of the year candidate if you're watching any freaking basketball and you're not complaining and, and worrying about other things and just bantering it up with Jeff Van Gundy, the other sort of guy who doesn't give a shit about modern basketball. It is... If Mark Jackson... I mean, Rich Kleidman has said in the past that he is a great man-manager. If, if Mark Jackson is this Brooklyn Nets organization's next choice for a head coach, then dear Lord, help us all. 
Yeah, I'd be pretty upset because, like you said, he's just not in tune with the current NBA. Maybe he's great at you know managing personalities and leading a team, but he doesn't know what's going on currently in the NBA, and I think that's just something you do not want with his team. Um, I don't know why anybody would bring up Lionel Hollins coming back as a head coach. <laughs> <laughs> His stint in Brooklyn was not good. I'm, I'm not a big fan of him. He didn't really adjust in the current NBA. And just a lot of guys on the list I don't think make necessarily sense. We're going to hear more names as it gets closer to the offseason. But I have pretty good confidence in Sean Marks and the organization that they're going to make the right choice. So like Sean Marks, you know, some people might say the decision to fire, uh, let go of Kenny or part ways, whatever you want to say, it was bad. But he hasn't really made a ton of bad big decisions in his time in Brooklyn. No, but if Joseph Tsai gets too involved, then maybe it could be a bad decision. But then again, then it's not on Sean. Well, yeah, the Alan Crabb and the sort of that's probably the the one blip on his you know otherwise relatively spotless record. I think that for the most part, you know, Sean Marks has done an incredible job as the GM of this organization. Uh, Ty Lue wouldn't hate uh, uh, in terms relationship of with Kyrie relationship with Kyrie but is it a good relationship because that certainly did fracture and we've seen you know when the Le- LeBron James and Kyrie Irving the, the the sort of trio relationship there Kyrie Irving has been known to you know lash out at Ty Lue in that sort of instance you know the one that sort of sticks out I think it was a Jackie McMullen piece where he's just like you know behind the scenes you know Kyrie Irving would just distance himself from the players and Ty Lue goes to him oh we need you to do this he's like now that's your boy's guy that's your boy's job and in referring to LeBron James because you know Kyrie wanted to be the the one a guy but when you got lebron james you know kyrie you gotta realize that you're not the number one dude so maybe maybe i maybe actually that just typed in kyrie and uh, ty lu uh <laughs> into google don't think it's gonna happen <laughs> the thing uh that's my uh, my thoughts exactly uh david fisdell maybe he's gonna no. he- he has a good relationship. It would be kind of funny, but I think he did a pretty bad job with the Knicks. And it's hard to ignore how bad that was. As bad as like the organization with the Knicks is and the players he had, he just made a lot of really questionable decisions in my eyes. Uh, I agree. I, I've said on JBT, maybe the buzz, probably the outlet that I think that in terms of any sort of style of coaching, we didn't see a style of coaching, a system at all from David Fisdale. And that's what the Nets need. The, the Nets need, or at least some sort of voice that has an impact. I think now we're sort of seeing, you know, whatever new coach comes into this organization is going to have to have some sort of voice that impacts the players. Will the coach be better than Kenny Atkinson in terms of what they have done in this league? I don't know, but it has to be some sort of, it has to resonate. And, you know, we might not get a better coach than than, than Coach Kenny, but maybe a, a, a difference is what this team needs and, 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 and a newness is what this team needs. Pop, yes, I've, I've mentioned that. Tim Duncan, I mean, who knows? I don't think that he's ready for a head coaching position, but may, I would probably expect him more to be coaching the San Antonio Spurs later than you know the Brooklyn Nets Jason Kidd um you know maybe he gets a a Coca-Cola sponsorship and maybe he comes (laughs) back to the team just to spill some spill some stuff on Kyrie Irving and maybe Sean Kilpatrick comes back who knows um Lionel Holland's obviously not Thibodeau Thibodeau is one that I am wary about and I'm sort of like oh man I don't want in terms of man management Tom Thibodeau is probably one of the worst man management and player management you know coaches we've seen he'd probably fight the performance team he would be like i I think that the synergy that they would have would be at the window he'd be like nah i'm playing kyrie irving 43 minutes tonight i don't care that his shoulder and pigeon is still playing up and it's just like my dude we are not playing a new style of basketball i I hope the knicks go out and hire him but uh, i think it's more likely that the knicks go out and hire kenny Kenny atkinson because he is a 
I think he is with with CAA, and I think you know Leon Rose with CAA. There is a a certain relationship there, but we'll we'll get to Coach Kenny a little bit because that is one of our listener questions. Uh, Nick, uh, uh, now that we've sort of had a bit of a chat about it, am I you know swaying you towards any of my candidates? Am I putting you off any guys? What are your thoughts? You know, now that we've I guess had some time to chat about who could be a, a future Brooklyn Nets coach. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really like buying into anybody at this exact moment. I think, like you mentioned earlier, like Popovich is probably the best possibility because of the experience he has and the pop that would bring to Brooklyn and the players already having some type of relationship with him from Team USA and just also, you know, playing against him different years in the NBA. And I think pretty much every single player in the league respects Greg Popovich. And there is some similarities between Brooklyn and San Antonio, but at the end of the day, we'll see what happens. I like the point you made also, though, Jack, about how the next coach might not be a better coach than Kenny Atkinson, but he might hit better with this group. And that just might be what the Nets need because of they're going to be extremely talented and coaches do have an impact. But when your team's good enough to win a championship, coaching isn't necessarily the biggest factor. Yeah, and I think that in that sort of sense, you sort of let the players do their thing. And, you know, Ty Lu did that, you know, with Cleveland. You know, I, th- I think that, you know, maybe unless, you know, there's a a certain style of coach, you know, that sort of can either have an impact. It's the the, the veteran guys that have been there, done that, won championships before. you Doc Rivers, you Rick Carlisle, you Rick Popovich. Or Some it's swag. Yeah, it's or it's the guys that sort of you let do their own thing and you empower the players to just go out there and play. And, you know, that's Mike D'Antoni, that's Ty Lu, that's the, those sort of guys. There isn't, an, you know, and I, that's going to be, you know, the tough decision that Joseph Sy, Sean Marks and the rest of the decision makers at the Brooklyn Nets are going to have to make. What is going to impact this team? What is going to give them the best chance to to win a championship? You know, at the, that's, at, that, yeah, at the end of the day, that is the, the be-all and end-all. The pressure is now on Sean Marks and Joseph's side to make the right decision. This could be the difference between the Nets winning a championship and the Nets, you know, having to go back to square one in two or three years because, you know, Kyrie Irving's injuries, you know, come and catch up with him. Kevin Durant never really gets back out on the floor or these guys don't mesh well with the new coach. There is pressure on now in Brooklyn and I'm kind of all about it, Nick. I kind of like it. Yeah, where there's risk, there's reward. So I think you have to take a chance in this situation. And it's going to be interesting. And I think another factor that's going to be really interesting, we kind of hinted at it earlier, how much of an impact is Katie and Kyrie going to have in this coaching search? Are they going to be talking to these candidates or recommending guys because they already have some type of relationship and they can already kind of set a tone for the team going to next season? Or are you empowering too much to your superstars and kind of not giving enough love to the rest of your team? Or is this now a superstar organization? Yeah, that's it at the end of the day. Nick, so it's pop for you? Pop's your pop's your 1A? Yeah, I wouldn't say I have anybody that I'm in love with yet. I mean, like, I, you know, obviously I can't disrespect Greg Popovich, like you said, probably being the best coach of all time. I'm not sure if he's the perfect fit at this stage of his career, but I think out of the list that I just saw, Popovich would probably be my candidate. I would say that as well. And, you know, we did we did chat about on the last episode following the San Antonio Spurs game, Popovich's quotes in relation to Kevin Durant being at the Olympics. It would be incredibly, an incredible development if Popovich was not just the coach of the Olympic team, but also the Brooklyn Nets team, which would in turn have him, you know, splitting his allegiances in ways in terms of going, oh, well, is Kevin Durant, if he plays for the Olympics, is this good for him? I mean, that's a storyline for another day, but that would be a, a wild, wild development, uh, to say the least. But should we get to some of the uh, the comments and, and takes that we have from some of our, our listeners and people on Twitter? Let's dive in. 
All right, so some of these we've addressed, so we might repeat ourselves, but I, and I apologize if we do so, but um, from Oatmeal Man, Corey Wald from K-Wall Hoops. <laughs> I thought that was somebody's Twitter handle at first. <laughs> it, well, Corey needs to change it to Oatmeal Man. Uh, that is uh, absolutely a thing. And for those that don't know what I'm talking about, check out 8 Cable Hoops on Twitter. What players do you think were not fans of Kenny? Um, I'll repeat it in terms of the fact that I think that it was DeAndre. I think it was more the players that we haven't seen a, a huge history with him. You know, I can't see Joe, Joe Harris being that guy. I can see Spencer Dinwiddie having some sort of, you know, fraying of a relationship somewhat. Carol Vert would be less so for me, but we have seen moments this season. I think it's the veteran guys in the roster right now, your Wilson Chandler, your DeAndre Jordan, those sort of guys in the roster. Maybe a Rodion Skouritz as well in terms of the happiness with his role. Uh, but those are the players who I think were, quote-unquote, not fans of Kenny. Yeah, I would say out of people who definitely were fans of Kenny, I would say Joe, Karras, and Jarrett, I think are guys that definitely didn't push him away or anything like that. Now, Spencer, you could see some disdain at times and expectations from Kenny on Spencer at times were kind of, you know, critical and not fair. And I could see him being upset with that, especially after that game in Memphis where Spencer had no interest in driving. It seems like he was almost doing something out of spite where Kenny was like, Spencer, you're you know driving too much and not passing the ball. And in that game, he was just super conservative on purpose. You know what I mean? Something along really? those lines. Yeah. I'm not I'm not saying it's a fact, but I'm just trying to look at it from every angle. I could see that I'm not saying he's the one who pushed him out, but I could see there not being happiness there. Like you mentioned, some of the new guys maybe not being happy. Maybe not even specifically not happy about their roles, but how Kenny was managing the rotation. And this is something I'm gonna to continue to harp on is the Karis Levert minutes thing. And like a lot of guys have mentioned Karis since they got here from Kyrie to KD to even things from Wilson Chandler and Garrett Temple and DeAndre Jordan about the type of player he is, and then not playing him minutes and then seeing him showcase you know this ability over the last week it kind of makes you think like yo you're the coach you're supposed to know how good he is and why you're not giving him minutes or just the whole Rodion situation and you know playing guys like Torian Prince for 30 plus minutes when we don't even think he deserved it and maybe that made guys not happy on the team yeah that's Spencer Dimony one next seems to stick out a little bit because it's almost like you know Kobe in the past in terms of being told to, that he's shooting too much and then proceeds to in a playoff game to not take a shot at all in the first half and just pass 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 so, I mean, it's, it's sort of like, you know, Mamba mentality for, for Spencer Dimwitty of sorts. But it's a, it's a really interesting observation. But uh, we'll keep uh, chugging through them. UK Clipper Ollie, you know, of OTG basketball fame. Did Kyrie and KD buy into Kenny's vision? And if so, does that change their position? I think we chatted about that at all uh, a little bit. And, you know, KD did speak about the fact that, you know, he was looking up YouTube clips uh, of Kenny Atkinson and, and this sort of thing. So I think that he did initially... But, you know, we can't necessarily say that KD bought into the vision because he didn't really get a chance to. Kyrie, we've sort of analyzed to as much as we can. But in terms of Kevin Durant, you know, he might have initially. He might have been a drawing point somewhat. I, I don't know. He has mentioned that. So you can only take his words at face value. But uh, at the end of the day, I think that, you know, Coach Kenny was sort of just uh, a, a full piece of sorts. You know, he wasn't necessarily going to be having the, the biggest impact. And, you know, Kevin Durant doesn't necessarily have the biggest say in that regard. God. Yeah, I think, I don't know if they fully bought in. I don't know, like you said, if there was an opportunity for them really to buy in, not playing a full season under him. and Or maybe, you know, they didn't necessarily buy in, but they didn't necessarily, like, you know, enjoy the system either or the philosophy he had or the rotations he was using. Maybe, you know, being players in the court and feeling like, hey, we have more, you know, playing experience, especially with these players in the NBA, like, why are you not playing this guy or why are you not doing X thing on the court, whatever it might be. I think, there's a chance that could happen. It's just like all speculation, though. And that's going to be a narrative that's going to be ran with for, you know, 
the next two years probably that, you know, Kyrie and KD got Kenny Atkinson fired, especially if the team goes bad and the next coach doesn't work out. This is going to be the narrative they run with. So it could be, it could not be. We really don't know. Yeah, I think we'll have to wait and see. That's uh, Time will tell with, with a lot of things. Uh, the Truly Cheap guy asked about Joseph Sy's role. We spoke about that. Um, fellow co-host of the pod, uh, regular guest co-host, Matt Q. <laughs> this is a good one. Will Jacques Vaughn call timeouts before an 18-2 run <laughs> dooms us in the third quarter? Matt, my dude, you're always coming out with fire on Twitter. Love it. Matt was actually one guy who's brought this up a lot, though. This is something I know that personally made Matt upset is that Kenny would wait to call timeouts on these runs. And, you know, as a fan, you could sometimes feel that the game was getting out of hand. It's like, all right, man, make the call and sometimes screw up your rotation and bring in, you know, Spencer or Karras or Joe Harris or whoever it might be at this time because your team desperately needs a bucket. And if you let the game get lost right here, you're going to lose the game. So I hope Jock Vaughn does not do that. And uh, I think one interesting thing about Jock Vaughn, I don't know if we mentioned it earlier on, we kind of hinted at communications with players in every role and every player on the team. He said he was having one-on-one sit-downs with every player on the team uh, this morning. Yep, and he, as soon as he heard the news and was relayed the news, he said he was doing that. Also a former head coach in Orlando, I believe, for three yep. seasons, something like that. So he does former have some Nets head player co- too. Former Nets player. So, you know, he has a standing within the organization and, you know, he's had his impact on, on players uh, and coaches alike. Um, there's a few comments in here as well, Nick, that we sort of touched on already. Uh, our boy Khalil, Dan Tony to Brooklyn. I've made my thoughts known on that one. You you, you sort of made your thoughts on Pop known and Karis Time at Karis Time asked about Pop to Brooklyn. We spoke about that as well. What are your hesitations, I guess, about a Mike D'Antoni possibly suiting up for Brooklyn? The reason why I think it's more likely, Nick, is because he wasn't extended at the start of the season. And when you have a coach of his ilk, you essentially put out an extension for him and, you know, two years, whatever it might be. Daryl Morey as well, he's standing within that organization. I think the ownership there with Tillman Fertitta, or, you know, as a lot of call him Mr. Mr. Fertitta, you know, <laughs> out there in, in Houston. And, you know, we've got a lot of, you know, Houston Rockets fans uh, at OTG too. I think that there is, in terms of the, the leadership ranks, coaching, you know, GM, I think that it is incredibly unstable there, which is why I'm, I think that it's more likely about Dan Tony possibly coming to Brooklyn, at least why I'm more you know, optimistic about it, despite the fact that our Dan Tony has made his thoughts known about the fact that, well, uh, I guess Coach Kenny probably didn't deserve to get fired in the first place, but maybe if he's communicated that by Sean Marks and is like, look, you know, Kenny wanted to go. You know, he he was it was a mutual decision. It wasn't us firing him per, per se, despite the fact that you know you can interpret mutually part ways as whatever you want. The guy doesn't have a head coaching job anymore. That's some form of firing. But what are your reservations about you know Mike D'Antoni, you know, suiting up and 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 coaching this Brooklyn Nets team? I agree with the fact that I think D'Antoni is more likely to be available than Popovich. But I think there's more questions about D'Antoni and can he get over the hump? You know, like we mentioned, the Chris Paul hamstring, maybe, you know, Chris Paul's healthy. They win that series. They go on and win the finals. I'm not having this conversation. But it's not like Houston has been the only team he's had that hasn't been able to get over the hump. It was the same thing when he was the Phoenix head coach and they had that great team. You know, there were some issues. There were suspensions. There was the injuries. But at the end of the day, it just feels like, I'm not sure if he makes the correct adjustments. And sometimes, like, even just watching the Rockets in the playoffs for the last couple of years, they'll run these super short rotations. And then by the time they get, you know, late in the second round of the Western Conference Finals, the team is gassed because he's not trusting his bench or making these right decisions, and he's trying to play it too tight. Are you going to be watching the Houston Rockets a little bit closer for the rest of this year? 
Yeah, I mean, actually, the Rockets have been like a team I've been watching a decent amount lately because of yeah. like the drastic small ball change, which I think is incredible. Just something really strange that you don't see. And I will give D'Antoni credit for that. Like, if somebody was going to make a system work where you have four ball, I guess I don't want to say ball dominant, but guys who really need the ball in their hands to be effective, D'Antoni might be that guy. You know, he might be able to get the best out of uh, Kyrie Irving, a Kevin Durant, a Karis Avert, and a Spencer Dinwiddie. Yeah, yeah, I think that in terms of wild and wacky adjustments, I think Dan Tony certainly could make it work. But I think that might be a name that we might have to revisit, you know, in future pods. But uh, Corey Cantor on Twitter as well asked, how did this actually happen? Like, what contributed to it? Why now? I think we've gone through that in, you know, quite a bit of, you know, almost excruciating detail. But one to end with, Nick, is uh, at uh, the cop NYNWA. Maybe analyze Atkinson's coaching style and what team he'd suit the most. Now, we've made known Coach, Kenny, Coach Kenny's coaching style on the offensive floor. He loves pace and space, that sort of ball movement. And on the defensive end, you know, in terms of pick and roll defense, he loves his bigs to hang back a little bit. And it sort of you know, creates a, a sense of fr- friction and frustration with fans at, in some sorts because of sometimes the, the rigid nature whereby he, he, he implements his systems on both ends of the floor. So I guess that's his style. Is there anything you, you wanted to add more to his style before we get to some of those teams that we sort of maybe touched on a little bit? Yeah, I think you pretty much know that the simple thing is he wants his team to shoot a lot of threes and hit a lot of layups and drive and kick, and he wants the other team not to be able to do that. You know, he wants them to shoot a lot of long twos, mid-range shots, and doesn't want to give up layups and doesn't want to give up corner threes. And I think pace-wise, he prefers to play a faster pace, but he's okay slowing it down if it's necessary for the components on his team. And I think, you know, I think his out-of-timeout plays are good. I think he does have some great play calls. I think maybe in late-game situations he could be better, and that'd be one area where you'd want to see improvement, and the in-game adjustments would be another area too. Yeah, yeah, totally agree with that. Uh, another guy who I would say that Coach Kenny could probably, not necessarily aspire to, but could see a trajectory towards is a guy like Mike Budenhoser, another you know former uh, assistant coach he was in, in their ranks. And, you know, Mike Budenhoser seems to me like he might be, you know, coaching in a finals team, if not definitely a conference finals team. So maybe that's the trajectory Coach Kenny does take if he does get, you know, the right cattle at his disposal. But in terms of the teams he suit the most, Nick, what did what teams did you list and what teams before you know I guess we can analyze all of them because you know I've got time I like speaking on podcasts with you about basketball let's do it yeah, I mean, like, if you just look at the bad teams in the NBA, I don't think Kenny's going to get a job with one of these top contenders because he doesn't have that resume. But if you look at a team like Cleveland, obviously looking possibly for a new head coach, Kenny could be perfect for a guy like Darius Garland, Colin, Sexton, uh, Colin Sexton, and uh, Kevin Porter Jr. and some of the other young pieces they have. You look at a team like Detroit, you know, they're going to be going through a rebuild, and they don't necessarily have a ton of assets, so you need somebody who's going to be able to develop young guys that might be G-leaguers. Or, you know, you look at a team uh, like your guy, JB. Nick, the Washington Wizards. I'm not sure. I don't think they've been super happy with Scott Brooks and they could be entering a rebuilding stage or they could even just be entering this fringe playoff stage, which I don't think Kenny's a bad coach for that either. No, not at all. I think that for me, I mean, Chicago too. Chicago. The, for me, I can't help but think beyond the guys across the bridge, the New York Knicks. And yep. I mentioned the relationship, you know, he has, the, the same agent as who is now the new general manager in Leon Rose or manager of basketball operations, whatever title he has with the New York Knicks. 
And I think that you, you spoke about the sort of young guys, what he could get out of a, a Mitchell Robinson. You know, Mitchell Robinson has plenty of talent and, and maybe more talent than Jared Allen. And he could turn him into something. Maybe he would start him over bloody Taj Gibson. And um, Frank Nilakino is, is starting to show out a little bit. You know, Kevin Knox, Alonzo Trier, you know, plenty of young talent there. And the Knicks, you know, if they don't decide to go down the Chris Paul and Carmelo Anthony route, then maybe we, we do see that. But, you know, I, I can't help but think, and, and it would have, if that were to happen, I, it, it would leave me torn because, you know, I hate the Knicks. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Nets fan. I'm supposed to hate the Knicks, but I've always loved Kenny. I'm always going to have a soft spot for him. I've never been, we've criticized him with due course, but I think we've also realized what he's done for this organization and what he has done in individually. And I think he's built himself up in terms of being, you know, you look at other sort of coaches that have been sort of tossed away, you know, and Fisdale and, and these sort of guys, I think coach Kenny with the list of guys that have been fired would be one a in terms of uh, the guy that I would want to coach my organization. I would prefer him over a Thibodeau or Mark Jackson. You know, I think he's probably on a similar ranks of a Stan Van Gundy, you know, those sort of guys because of what he's done with his organization. And if you have some semblance of young players on your team, you know, you, you look at Kobe White in Chicago, Larry Markinen, you know, Wendell Carter Jr. You know, I think he would mesh well with the Zach Levine. And, you know, we've seen comments out, out of Chicago already of them sort of saying that, you know, yeah, I think it was Denzel Valentine I saw. He's just like, you know, look, Jim John, Jim Boylan is our coach now. You know, that's it. But, you know, who knows what happens? And I'm just like, you don't say that shit. And Zach Levine's sort of just like getting frustrated at, you know, timeouts when they're down by 10 with 40 seconds to go. I, I think Coach Kenny would provide a semblance of stability to whatever organization he goes to. Because I think he, he, he has a way to in- engage a roster, especially a young one. Yeah, and he, now he has the experience. You know, he's a different coach than he was. He's a better coach than he was the first year he took over. You know, he understands things a little bit differently about the NBA. And like you said, Jack, all those teams, I think they'd be happy to get him as their head coach. And for the Knicks, if they got him, that'd be a great head coach for some of the young pieces. And they're going to get another, you know, high lottery pick this year. And the Knicks and Nets would probably be even more rivals. Like oh, they're yeah. obviously would even we had the Kyrie and the KD tension because he signed with they signed with the Nets instead of the Knicks. And now former Nets head coach coaches the Knicks and they have success. Things are going to heat up. And I think even if we look at the Western Conference side, you look at a team like the Kings. I think Luke Walton hasn't done a great job. A lot of people are upset what is going on with him. And then you know even a team like the Spurs, if Popovich were to leave you want a guy to help come develop that talent and already has some ties to that organization in a certain way. You look at him. And then I think uh, I even had some Pelican fans saying they weren't really happen, happy with Alvin Gentry. He could be a great piece for all the young uh, all the young pieces they have on that roster. And obviously there is Trajan Langdon, you know, of former Brooklyn Nets fan yes. as well. So there is, there is a tie there as well. But I think that if you, the one thing before we do go, I, I want to ask you a question to end this pod after. I got a question for you too. Cool. Let's keep this going. I, I love the bumper pods that we get to do with each other. The the thing with if you have a young talented point guard, Cleveland Cavaliers, Chicago Bulls, whoever it might be, Coach Kenny is your guy. The way he empowers the point guard and the importance that he places on that position within his offensive system is going to let them thrive. Colin Sexton has shown moments towards the end of this year that he could potentially be an all-star. And if I'm, you know, the, the, the Cleveland Cavaliers, I think Coach Kenny is the coach that can take him to that and make him go to the, go that next step. So, yeah, if, if you're any team out there with a, with a decent young point guard with a little bit of talent, I would say Coach Kenny is your guy. But, Nick, what, what did you want to throw at me before I throw something at you? What are your expectations for the rest of the season for the Nets? 
Uh, I ex- I, my expectations don't really change. I, I think that the Nets continue need to solidify themselves as a, a playoff option, a playoff, you know, you know, seventh or eighth seed. I know Sean Mark said that in, in his presser as well. My expectations don't change. I think Jacques Vaughn will essentially be a very similar coach, just a new voice within the system in terms of I can't see the principles of the way we play change. Maybe some adjustments are a little bit different. Maybe we see some lineup and roster changes and, and, and minute allocations change a little bit. But I think that, you know, because the, we can't necessarily get any higher than a seventh seed, Nick, you know, that is essentially what the aspiration should be to solidify that seventh seed and hopefully, you know, get a, a fun series against the Toronto Raptors or Boston Celtics. Yeah, I agree, Jack. I think the goal still needs to be to compete. And you're probably not going to see a system change. If anything, there'll be some maybe some small details, maybe some changes to the rotation or something like that. But uh, I think the goals still stay the same. And I think, again, it's still like a processing period for the Nets and Sean Marks and trying to figure out what they have because, like we kind of talked about earlier, if one thing's clear, they do not want to waste any time with Katie and Kyrie. And that tells me that they're probably going to be looking to be very aggressive this summer. Yeah, it's, it's certainly not a dual 180 sort of uh, process <laughs> in, 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 in that sense of the imagination, Nick. But let's end with a, with a bit of a fun one, Nick. You know, what are your favorite Coach Kenny Atkinson moments in the tenure that he had with this Brooklyn Nets organization? Plenty spring to mind. I want to hear your thoughts because, you know, he's brought a lot to this organization. After, I think it was after the Sacramento game where he was like in the locker room and he was like, let's go. Or he might have cursed and they just blinked it up <laughs> because it was on the Nets page. And then also uh, that like hand slap he has with D'Lo against Toronto. And that was the game that started the winning streak that changed the Nets season last year. I think that had some real pop. And then just like, I think one thing I always just, and this is a vague, like not, a, this is a general moment. It's just like how much it meant to Kenny to be a head coach in like every game and like respecting the players and everything. And like, you know, we, I've said plenty of negative things about Kenny today. And that doesn't mean that I think he's a bad head coach or anything like that. I think he's a good head coach for a player development system and he can ascend into being a championship head coach. He's just not there right now, but I do think he's a great person from everything I've seen about him. I think the passion that he has had for coaching within Brooklyn, I don't think that there are many other coaches in this league that show the same passion for their work as what Coach Kenny does. You know, we've seen him have to be restrained by some of his players <laughs> before in terms of the text. Um, and, and, you know, behind the scenes, you know, every single press conference, it's, you know, it's always, uh, you know, uh, you know the, the, the signature Kenny style. Uh, uh, it seems like, you know, the amount of time. Every, if Coach Kenny, you know, had a jar, you know, normally when you're public speaking on a regular basis, you're told not to, you know, cut out the ums, cut out the ass. But Coach Kenny just did his thing. And I respected that, you know, stick to his style. But, you know, for me, if we're going to meme moments, Snick, you know, we got to love that sign. And I was, I was in, you know, overseas. I was in New York for that. So that certainly got a lot of gravity and that was a lot of fun. And I was like, what's going on here? And that was, that was awesome. You know, obviously the, the no zone, you know, D that sign, you know, the, the, you know, using the uh, the old earwax as a, a yeah, a I was of, gonna say a, that a, a bit of a lip balm in, in a sense, and I'm like, all right, my dude, uh, you can you get your however you want to brighten up those lips, you, you do your thing, but uh, not my necessarily choice of uh, of sort of medium that would make my lips sort of sparkle and shine. But he he has a rapport, he has a passion, he has a care, and uh, and a lot of coaches you know, generally do. Those are generally prerequisites. He is a teacher. And and I think that's sort of what is always sort of, I've loved about Coach Kenny as well in terms of, 
you know, coaching gets it gets overlooked in terms of you know how much of a of an element of teaching it is. You know, despite the fact that you know when you are doing coaching the superstars and such, you are sort of you know letting the reins go a little bit. Coach Kenny has been a wonderful teacher to this Brooklyn Nets organization and bringing relevance back to this team. And I'm always going to have fond memories of his. It doesn't you know take away the fact that you know criticism was warranted throughout his tenure but what he did with this organization can't be underrated in such a short tenure and hopefully the Brooklyn Nets do have success or else you know maybe we look down the track and and, and go well maybe I can't imagine what if what if coach Kenny had to stay with this roster what if we still had him could he have had a, a bigger impact than coach ABC that might be you know coaching this team in the future um, there, there's plenty of things to speculate about but you know for, for now Coach Kenny has been, the Markinson era is over, but I'm always going to look back on it incredibly fondly. And it was a, it's still a big era for the Nets. It changed a lot of things and how bad they were when Kenny took over and how embarrassing the organization was. He made them more relevant. He got them back in the playoffs. And like we talked about, Katie and Kyrie do not sign with the Nets if Kenny Atkinson is never the head coach. Even though he's no longer the head coach and he won't be coaching them next year, whatever it might be, they don't get to this level without him and what he's done for the organization, including the players in the team. And they'll tell you that too. Obviously, the players do a lot of the work, but the coach is the one that teaches them and guides them to that point. Yeah, and I think in terms of the frustrations of D'Angelo Russell, I think that you know there are there is frustration that is warranted in terms of I think that he was a, a whipping boy of sorts a lot he would bear the brunt of the blame for a lot of things that probably you know he didn't deserve and and he did handle it like a like a champ in the moment and you know with some time removed I think he's now been like all right well I, I realize now that you know I've given more freedom in a system with with Flip Saunders that maybe this is what I prefer in terms of a coaching style but you know at the end of the day D'Lo as much as I love you. Um, you know, Coach Kenny brought you to where you are, and without him, you wouldn't have been an All Star. I don't think you're going to be an All Star for the rest of your career if you if you're hanging out in the West. And I think that the peak basketball and impact that he's played may be in in, in a Brooklyn Nets uniform. I'm not saying that he, he he's not going to be due for great things in Minnesota, but that organization has its issues as well. Carl Anthony Towns has been injured. You know, we haven't seen. I, I can't necessarily analyze that, but we may see the best version of D'Angelo Russell, and we may have already seen it. Yeah, I mean, Kenny could have gotten the best out of Spencer Dinwiddie, much as we know, or other guys in this roster. So, again, like, there's no discredit to what Kenny did for the team and the type of coach he is. I just think it's it's just apparent that he's probably not the right coach for the situation the Nets are going into next year. Well, could he be at that point? There's a possibility. But I think, like we talked about, you just want the guarantee you want to maybe go the safe route and know someone who's a little bit more experienced who's done it before. Absolutely. And, you know, we'll certainly be bringing you all that news when, if, and as it happens on the, on the buzz. Uh, if I, I'm, I'm, lucky I was up early today, Nick, because I, I normally have a nice little sleep in on a Sunday. And, but I'm uh, more than happy to chat Nets news, even if it is about a, a firing. One of our one of our listeners messaged uh, or tweeted at me and was like, "You guys need to do emergency pod." I was like, "Yeah, I will." When Jack wakes up, it's only three eighteen in uh, Australia right now. So, like, I mean, we got it out though. It's crazy day, like you said, Jack. We'll be touching on this probably for the rest of the season and then going to the off season until the Nets hire a new head coach, and that's something for us to discuss. And hey, we might even look back on it next season. But as always, a pleasure, Jack. Big thanks everybody for listening. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pod. This episode was brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. 
relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.